Brief one. This is part three of The Purpose and Power of Love and Marriage by Miles Monroe. In this part, we're looking at love for a lifetime, i.e. marriage. Um, And again, in depth now that we understand love. So marriage, in brief one, is called a roleless relationship. And being married exposes how much the couple really doesn't know about each other. They've got to jointly work out a decision-making process. They've got to communicate clearly their expectations, things to consider as they decide on who's going to do what, i.e. roles, the strengths, the talents, the abilities, and, of course, the Word of God. In Ephesians 5, we already looked at, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The husband's role is to love his wife in a sacrificial way. The wife submits to her husband, respects her husband, and the husband should make it easy for his wife to do her part. There should be mutual love, and there should be a looking at what needs to be done and who is best at doing it. And then there's also the question of who can do it best right now. So in other words, it could be that somebody's under stress. Perhaps they're doing grad studies or something or who knows what, right? Uh, Extra stuff going on. And so they need the other one to step in and do more. So it's who can do the best right now. And then, you know, it's about need, ability, and opportunity, right? Those kind of things help decide the role. So guidance for the relationship, three things, mutual submission, love, each party one for the another, and respect. Focus on the husband. The husband is the leader of the home from a spiritual standpoint. He sets the spiritual tone. Agape love, he serves his wife as Christ served the church, which is sacrificially. That is a love without reason. And note that Reverend Miles Monroe would say the husband and the wife are equal status because they're both spirit beings. In this way, marriage resembles what Christ did. It's his love. His, his, what he did was he took his love and he responded to our need for forgiveness. And it was totally and completely sacrificial. The male role per, per the Bible to be the spiritual leader, to provide the spiritual direction, to love his wife, his wife the way Christ loved the church. The female's role to respect her husband and to submit to his headship. Brief two, a question of submission. The word says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Paul speaking. So husbands are told to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands are to treat their wives the way that Jesus treated the church. In a, what Reverend Monroe says is that most husbands don't deserve submission because submission requires that he himself be submitted to Christ. Now, Adam was the head. He was to teach and guide his wife in the ways of God. God held Adam primarily responsible for the fall. Men follow his same pattern, Adam's pattern. That is, they struggle to admit guilt. Failure is incredibly damaging to men. It's like being naked the way that Adam felt after the fall. Husbands have to be willing to shoulder their responsibilities and willing to accept responsibilities for their actions without denying them. And they have to love wife, their wife as Christ loved the church. In many believing households, the wife knows more about the Lord and his word and ways than her husband does because she spends more time exposed to them. Wife submission, where so many husbands misunderstand this, is that Christ leads his church. He does not rule his church. And that is what God is asking of husbands, to lead their wives, not to rule their wives. A wife's submission, um, you know, is in some ways bound to that, right? The guy has got to be doing his part uh, to be led by Christ. The wife follows her husband's headship as spiritual leader and guide for the family. And the husband is the spiritual head, provides the covering, and acts as a teacher in the home. Brief three, mastering the art of communications. I think everybody would agree that's one of the toughest parts of relationships. And Miles Monroe says, communication is to love what blood is to life. Leviticus 17.11 says that the life is in the blood. So communications is absolutely essential in marriage. And listening is a big part of communication. We got to learn to listen before we speak. We should listen two times as much as we speak. God gave us two ears and one, one mouth. Um, and Jesus said, how many times he who has ears, let him hear. And James told us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. So communication is information exchange and has three components to it. The content of what you say, the tone of voice in which you say it, and the nonverbal signals that you send as you do it. Verbal communication is only 7%. Tone is 38%. And nonverbal is 56%, reported 55% according to Miles Monroe. Some tips for communications. Remember the word says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so make sure your tone, your body language align with the words that you're saying. There's different levels of communications, seven different levels. The first level is casual communications, conversation. The second level is reporting the facts. You know, what someone said or did, The third is to actually express our ideas, our opinions, our decisions. At that point, we begin to reveal what we're thinking on the inside, our ideas, our beliefs, our opinions. The fourth level is sharing our emotions. The fifth level is the level of complete emotional and personal communications, openness and honesty. There's no secrets, no off-limits areas, and we allow close inspection. The uh, next level is vulnerability. It's risky, but we take that risk. And it's genuine communications at its deepest level. For long-term success and fulfillment in marriage, it's really going to depend a lot on the scope and depth of the communications between the two. 
They need to be sharing their thoughts, their feelings, their joys, their sorrows, their hopes, and their dreams. Read four, the little things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine, says the word. If you think about it, the Great Pyramid rose stone by stone. The Great Wall of China, brick by brick. A guy named George Herbert wrote, For one of a nail, a shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, a horse was lost. For one of a horse, a rider was lost. For one of a rider, a message was lost. For one of a message, a battle was lost. For one of a battle, a kingdom was lost. All for the want of a nail. The importance of small things. Song of Solomon. It's the little foxes that, that ruin the vineyards. Song of Solomon's 2 and 15. One of the little foxes is criticism. Negative comments are essentially the death of a relationship. And psychologists have looked at that today and said you can look at the relationship of criticism to praise. And if you know praise isn't five to one versus criticism, you're in big trouble. So psychology backs up the word. In this case, um, though we know the word would be accurate, it's more psychology might not be. So anyway, we want to rebuke, which is concerned with correction as opposed to criticizing. And the difference is the motivation. Correcting someone is motivated by love. You want the other person to improve. And it's something that you're going to think carefully about. And if you're willing to give correction, then you need to be able to receive it. It promotes growth. Now, familiarity versus intimate knowledge. Uh, what happens is in a lot of marriages, folks begin to assume familiarity and think that that means intimate knowledge, which it does not. And so at that point, they begin to lose focus on each other and kind of take each other for granted. They begin to make assumptions. They think that they know what the other one is thinking, but they don't really. The wife presumes what the husband will say without asking. The husband stops saying, I love you. He assumes his wife knows. He stops giving just because gifts, flowers, and cards, you know, and doesn't do the adventurous, spontaneous things that they used to. You want to be spontaneous, throw in surprises, express honest appreciation. A husband's greatest asset for success and happiness is his wife, says Reverend Monroe. And a wife's her husband. They should be each other's greatest supporters, promoters, and encouragers. I can tell you that is very, very powerful. Make the choice to do these things rather than depending on feeling like doing it and do it every day. Love is fed by love. So you're talking about a virtuous cycle as each shows love one to the other. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit partly because we need daily reassurance. The Holy Spirit's the counselor, the comforter, the parakletos, the one who is called alongside is what it means in the Greek. Men thrive on what they see. Women thrive on what they hear. Both thrive on what they feel. So pay attention to the little things. Compliment your wife or your husband on their great work. Apply the golden rule. I would actually say apply the platinum rule. Do it to them as they want to be done to them. And take a look at our brief on the five love languages because you want to love him or her the way that they want to be loved. And do the things that work. Uh, in that way for him. Always be kind and courteous. In every situation, show your spouse the utmost respect and understand that men need esteem from their wives. Brief five, kingdom management for couples. So there is this concept of stewardship in the Bible and a steward manages the affairs of another person. 
And that's what we do as believers in God's kingdom. It's God's stuff, and we manage it for him. Now, Joseph is probably a great example of faithful stewardship from the word. He was a slave to the captain of the bodyguard, but he was a very faithful steward. In fact, to the point where the word tells us the only decision the captain of the bodyguard had to make was, what would he eat? Because everything else was in in Joseph's hands and it prospered under Joseph. And then once Joseph was thrown in prison for the false allegation for trying to get with the captain of the guard's wife, which he was not actually resisting, um, he was faithful there as well to the point where the warden of the prison put it under his hands. And also he, the word tells us, had to worry about nothing because Joseph was a faithful steward. And good stewardship leads to growth, prosperity, and happiness. And it's something we want to do in our marriages. God called the husband and the wife to exert dominion over the territory he gave to them, rulership, to govern, to control, to gain mastery over something. To, be, to show careful and wise management over it. And God built the ability to administer into us because he said, let them rule. And so anything that God asks you to do or commands you to do, guess what? He gives the ability to do it. He never asks us to do something that he won't equip us to do. And God told us to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And so he's given us the ability to do it. When we function according to our purpose, which rulership is part of it, we experience health, happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction. And God's purposes in creating us, to, number one, to care for his garden, to care for the territory that he gives us. It needed water and it needed mankind. It needed a steward, a manager. Good management produces increase. Married couples should do a marriage health check. How have we used the resources given by God? Are we moving forward as a couple? Are we in his will? Is God pleased with what we've done? And what does God want us to do next? These are all questions the married couple should be asking. Dominion. You call to give it and to do it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what are the things that are said here? Fruitfulness is said here. Our fruitfulness is our ability to bless others. God blesses us so that we can bless others. Um, he asks us to increase. He asks us to fill the earth, right? Um, and he asks us to subdue it. In other words, to manage it, to govern it, to cause it to prosper. And God bless mankind. A blessing from God releases ability. It releases what God has already put in them. And God released mankind to be stewards of the earth, the husband and the wife. How? First, to be fruitful. That's not just qualitative. It's quantitative and qualitative. Fruit is the blessing, as we said. A seed has the potential to be a bumper crop of fruit. You have to understand what your seed is and use it. Increase is about partly reproducing, enlarging, and excelling. You want to refine your gifts until they're unique. You want to be the best that you can be at what you do. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before kings, Proverbs 18 tells us. And then he says, feel. So this is expanding our gift, our influence, our resources. Just like a business, improving their product, hiring more people, seeking new markets. 
That's the same thing that we should be doing with the gifts that God has given us. And then he said, subdue. So this is to control. Uh, An example would be in business, dominating your market. And there's no limit to what God can do with a married couple or an individual that surrender to him, to his will and his ways. In Habakkuk, the second chapter in the 14th verse, we are told that for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Giving is important. Our attitude matters there. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians that each of us should give what we've decided in our heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we should have a financial plan, a budget of how we will spend God's resources as a key part of a marriage. Brief six, sexual intimacy in marriage. Monroe says that many couples are confused about this topic because God's original instruction was to fill the earth and subdue it. It certainly includes sexual activity. So the Bible has a lot to say about it. And here's some things that we can take away from the word on the subject of sex. First, sex is not love. Second, sex is not spiritual. It is physical and chemical. It's a joining of flesh to flesh. Our sex drive must be controlled by our spirit because our spirit is to rule over our flesh. Fourth, sex is an appetite, just as hunger, thirst, water, sleep, etc. are. An unsatisfied appetite will eventually fall off. We can control our appetites, is Monroe's point here, in addition to satisfying them. They're subject to our will. We are built to desire sex um, and We are to do so in the limits of one husband and one wife devoted to each other is the biblical standard, is what Monroe would say. Sex is for procreation. Um, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Ben, which means son in Hebrew, is heritage. So sex is also for recreation and release. Sex is fun. That's why God made it pleasurable. God invented sex and wants us to enjoy it in the context of of a loving marriage relationship. Sex is also for communication. It creates a physical, mental, and emotional connection to each other. It's the way two people fulfill Genesis second chapter's instructions to become one flesh. And sex is restricted to marriage. It requires us to be responsive to each other's needs. A husband's need sex is something that Reverend Monroe said earlier. Wives need their husband's touch. They need to be reminded, told how beautiful they are, how much you love them, how much you desire them, and how much you need them. A test for things is is do they edify. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is edifying. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Is the sexual behavior okay? Question is, does it edify? That's the key question. Brief seven, family planning. So a lot of people have different thoughts on this, but this is Reverend Monroe's take on it. So one reason that God ordained marriage was because he was seeking godly offspring, Malachi tells us. In fact, he says, so guard yourself. He says, because he was seeking godly offspring, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Malachi chapter two. So family planning is limiting one's family to the number of children the parents can love 
provide for, nurture, train, and protect. So there are three questions a couple has to ask themselves. First, do they want children? Second, when do they want the children? And third, how many do they want? God sees children as a blessing. Psalms 127 says, Children are indeed a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts the enemies at the gate. And we should be like Jesus to our children. Raise children who are like their parents who share the same beliefs and values that we share. In Proverbs 20, um, Solomon says, Even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. Good parenting requires planning. The end goal, children that share our, our moral, ethical, and spiritual values. If they learn to love, worship, follow, and serve the Lord, then we've succeeded as parents. Some principles for parenting. First, the parents go to reproduce the nature of the parent in the child. And we do that by setting a godly example. If we want to have godly children, then we got to live godly before them. A second principle, parenting reproduces the character of the parent in the child. The character is our moral excellence. Um, and principle three, it creates the behaviors of the parents. And again, we want to model good behavior. Some biblical mandates for parents. First, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Proverbs 22. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 29. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 13. Train them to obey first, and then later to understand the why. Children can't train themselves. Adults have to do it. Training needs to be intentional, focused on the long term, Short-term pain for long-term gain. Failure to train is a force for destruction in the life of your child, Proverbs 19 and 18 says. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Monroe says, be the engine, not the caboose. Provide the direction and the pace of travel for your children. Brief eight. Key takeaways. First is agape love. So what is agape love? You may remember 1 Corinthians 13. That love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And marriage is God's idea. That's the second thing to keep in mind, which means it's a good idea. But it's reserved really for two believers who are walking with no unconfessed sin, walking in God's spirit. Third, there, he has some purposes in marriage for companionship, for children, to help each other to grow. And each must focus on the other and, and love the other. So this is all part of God's design for marriage. Some keys to success. First, the kind of love that must be shown here is the sacrificial, other-focused love of agape. Second, they have to never stop learning about each other. Third, keep in mind the differences and use those to your benefit. Fourth, marriage is roadless, so you decide who does what based on ability and opportunity. 
Fifth, good stewardship of resources is key for marriage. Sixth, no secrets and best friends. Seven, the little things matter a lot. The daily tending to of the marriage, talking, not assuming things, spontaneity, surprises, and gifts. Eighth, you must both leave your parents. So it becomes about you, but not about them. You got to leave them behind and their desires and the like. You got to be each other's shields in this matter in terms of dealing with you know their parents. It's better if they shield you than you jumping in the middle of that. Tenth, the man must love the wife as Christ loved the church. While eleventh, the wife must respect the husband as long as he's working to love her in the way that Christ loved the church. May God bless you and keep you. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at christianbrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F dot com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.